Welcome to the best podcast available, Training Camp Edition. Here are your hosts, Jason Gibbs, Andrew Gribble, and Nick Shook. From the Dog Bowl here in Berea, Jason Gibbs, Nick Shook, Andrew Gribble. What day is it to practice? Ten. Thank you. We had a debate about this You're before okay. the practice began because we didn't know if we were counting the Orange and Brown scrimmage. You count the practice. So are we but counting it, it? We're counting it. That makes it 10. I did, right. I, I did what Allie told me to do. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. That, yeah. It, oh, it, does, it's, it's, we, it's a yearly debate. There, there's a yearly debate this time of year how you count days. Do you count the days off? Do you count the closed practices? Do you count the open practices? We're right. not counting days it's, off, it's, right? This is the, no. the mundane behind-the-scenes stuff that keeps us up at night. This, this is the dream right here, folks. Uh, uh, those of you listening right now, wherever you're listening, this is the nitty-gritty of the dream. <laughs> The good news is, and we'll hear from Joe Thomas coming up in just a few minutes, but uh, it's finally game week. So some things change. The way that you handle your week changes. It's not five consecutive days. It's two days. It's a closed practice that we may or may not get to see, and then it's game day. Yeah, this is the one week of the entire calendar year that you look forward to a preseason football game. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, yeah, this is the one time. Because then as soon – and really, the the bad thing about preseason is as soon as you get to, like, the middle of the second quarter, you're like, oh, God, we got three more weeks of this. (laughs) (laughs) You know I mean? The first drive's exciting. I'm glad it's at home. Like, that makes it a little more exciting. You're rooting for the running clock in the second half. You're like, hey, how about a running clock? Man, if I I had a dollar for every preseason game I sat through at at First Energy Stadium, what was then Cleveland Brown Stadium as a kid – and by the third quarter, I didn't know who was playing quarterback, who the Browns were even playing. Rain, rain is a thing during the preseason. Torrential downpours will stop preseason games. That's the only thing that makes a preseason game worse. But Bite having said, tongue. having said all of that, we are very excited for this preseason game coming up Thursday. All right. First, though, we had to get through a practice today and one again tomorrow. Uh, biggest takeaways from you guys after a day off and after the scrimmage. Well, I think that this was an issue with the team last year a little bit, and I think Freddie addressed it in his post-practice uh, press conference. Not did not the best response after a day off, and I think that was an issue. I felt like that was the storyline last year at training camp. Every time they they came back from a day off, it was not good. And yeah. I think I think Freddie titled it the they're feeling sorry for themselves uh, going back out at practice, but it picked up at the end. Uh, I think that. It helps when you have the best play of training camp so far, which was Baker's pass to Derek Willies. And not only was the catch great, but it's really the first time we've seen any quarterback air it out down the sidelines like that. A lot, everything's been in about the 5, 10, 15-yard range. This was a, a an actual bomb, and Willies continued his strong camp uh, and then punted the ball, which made it even better. Yeah, exclamation point for sure. But So was Freddie angry? It, that catch happened right in front. Uh, of you and I, Gribble. Yeah, he punted the football, and I'm trying to make sure it just doesn't land on on my dome at this point. So I lose it in the sun. I hear Freddie yelling, and I can't tell if he's yelling at him for the way he handled the touchdown, or if he's yelling because he's happy with something that went on today in a practice that was frankly quite. Ugly. I think he was happy because he was asked about the catch after after practice, and he didn't bring it up, which he brought up greedy celebration Correct. last week. Uh, so I don't. I don't think it was an issue, and he made the joke. If it's in the end zone, he's all right. But I, I that he might not. I don't know. If, do you get flagged for that in a game, or do you get the fine? Uh, I believe that? you get flagged. Mm, well, they relaxed the rules on celebrations last year, so yeah, but you just can't punt the football into the stands. Well, well, did, what did if he Crow get a penalty when he did it last year? No. 
when he wiped the ball. Yeah. That no, the, the, but he threw the football in the, in the stands before that, too. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he got a penalty for that. No, yeah. and I don't think Derek would have either. Uh, this is something we might have to research. But, I, but you know, that was a research team. That wasn't, yeah, we don't have one. Yeah. That wasn't really the point, though. I think the point really was that. You know, this was a, a ho hum practice that was kind of awoken, maybe too late, but awoken by this great play from a guy who's having an excellent camp and has just stacked pra- good practice after good practice after good practice on top of each other. And it even got his quarterback fired up because Baker ran all the way down and congratulated him and even shouted something to the cameras from our building the Browns crew. You know, like make sure you got that on tape. It was a rough day, and you know they got a highlight out of it. Yeah, it was good. Because yeah. I would, I don't know what we we're going to talk about until that play. <laughs> it, it really was yeah. pretty. It was pretty rough. Yeah. It was a lot of Freddie yelling a defensive, defensively. A lot of guys out today. Yeah, and whole it defensive really line. makes you wonder what happens come Thursday. Yeah, I mean that's that's something that uh, we'll be following, and I think we are all of the opinion: the less uh, we see these guys, the better. But uh, as run. we hear from Joe later, I mean there is some importance to the preseason for for these guys and. Uh, I'm not going to rush any of those guys back on the field. They're they're too important to this team's success. And I think that Freddie made a point in his post practice press conference about how these these guys wouldn't be missing practice if it wasn't something that was bothering them. He said they've been through a rough camp. They've got some bumps and bruises, but from the looks of it, I don't think anything is is serious because they were. I think all four of them have been outside working uh, and paying close attention. So I would imagine if this was a real game week. I think I don't think we'd be worried about any of them. I think that's the thing I commend Freddie and his staff and the medical staff for the most is, is yeah, this has been a very physical and tough camp. You're not going to see this in, in most NFL cities, uh, especially in this day and age when, you know, you can't even have two days anymore. But this has definitely worn on some of these guys, and they're being smart about which guys need a day off or need to sit out and need to really heal and get – get back into the playing shape that they need to be in, and then which guys are also just maybe a little bruised or a little hurt. You know, Farrell Brown kind of came up a little gimpy today, and, and what, what did Freddie say to him? I don't need that limping out of you, Farrell. Get back in the huddle because he needs players to be tough. He needs to teach them how to be tough. Currently, we're down two tight ends in concussion he, and, protocol. And, and we need some people to practice. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, but, I, you know, I think for the most part, people are being in charge of being very wise about, you know, monitoring the health of these players, and, and, it's, and it's playing or paying off well so far. All right, that's what happened on day number 10 of training camp. As we mentioned, the three of us honored to be joined by future Hall of Famer Joe Thomas uh, to talk training camp, to talk about the offensive line battle, to talk about preseason games, and a whole lot more. We hope you enjoy our interview with Joe Thomas. Have a listen. How nice was it to be back today? You've been to training camps before, obviously. You've been a part of them for a number of years. What about today felt different than maybe the the last few years that Mm -hmm, you've been back? mm -hmm. Well, I think the difference was when you have a guy like Baker Mayfield, you have your franchise quarterback who's standing in there taking command. That's just a different feel because I think it raises the expectations of everybody because you can always look to that quarterback position and see what he's doing and see how he's barking orders and making sure everybody's in order, and it raises your own expectations of yourself. Because you know if you step out of line, if you take the wrong step, if you go too deep on your route, if you screw up your protection, he's going to be the first one there chewing you out, and you do not want to disappoint the franchise quarterback. Now, Joe, I asked Joel this on Saturday, and I figured that even though you're not currently playing with this team, you still can answer it. There was some legitimate craziness, hype, excitement in 2014 when the team drafted Johnny Manziel. What is different when you come here about this team in 2019? Mm-hmm. 
the hype in 2014 was extrapolating on a guy that had a good college career. What's different now is Baker Mayfield showed last year that he was the best rookie quarterback in the history of the NFL. He has done it in the NFL. We have not had that since Derek Anderson was here. When my rookie year, he won 10-6, and six and he went to the Pro Bowl. So there is a difference of showing it, doing it, being it, walking it in the NFL versus doing it in college. And I think Browns fans, for many years, we were dying to have a quarterback. So we wanted Johnny Manziel to work. We wanted to trick ourselves and to tell our brains that what he was doing in college was going to work at the NFL level but it turns out it didn't work. Whereas now with Baker, we've seen it work. And now it's just a matter of taking what he did last year and just making him just a little bit better. And every year just making him a little bit better because he's already a franchise quarterback. Now it's just a matter of can he be the guy that leads the Browns to the Super Bowl? Are there some similarities? You mentioned the Derek Anderson 2007 year rookie year. Is there some similarities between this camp and the 08 camp? Um, not yet. So the 2008 camp was a tough camp because there was a lot of hype, but then we had a lot of injuries. So going yeah, into drama. the season, right. there was all this drama, there was all these injuries, and I think what, what happened that season is we had a lot of players that thought, okay, we were 10-6, and six, and all of a sudden they made the first Pro Bowl, and they had this we've arrived mentality, right? And I don't sense that from these guys. Like There's a lot of players right now who became stars last year, namely the quarterback, Baker Mayfield. But I don't sense there's a sense of entitlement right now around this team and around those guys. They are working harder now than they did last year because they feel ownership of the direction that this team is headed. And I think that's a really good feeling. There's, there's similar excitement. I think right now there's way more excitement probably than 2008. But similar excitement around the team. But I think as far as the team itself, the makeup, the players, the results and what we've seen so far in training camp and in the family day scrimmage, uh, totally different. How do you think that fits with, you know, is it good or bad with how Freddie is running this camp? Because it's more physical than your you know, your typical camp, and it seems like no matter maybe how worn down these guys might get, he's just going to keep pushing because mm -hmm. he's, he's trying to build that toughness and, and the ability to persevere in these guys. Yeah, I've always thought that a team takes on the personality of the head coach, and Freddie's got a very direct – tough personality that's his attitude that's who he is and I think that's the type of team that he wants to build and so he's going to develop and uh, mold his practices in his own image so that he's going to be getting 11 guys on offense 11 on defense and 11 on special teams that are little versions of himself hopefully more athletic versions <laughs> of himself and more in shape versions of himself but similar mentality where he wants tough, hard-nosed guys that like football, that can trust each other, that are going to go out and give everything they got every single play. What is, is there a coach that Freddie reminds you of that you had during your time here or even maybe at Wisconsin? You know, that's interesting. Um, you try to play the comparison game, and it is always tough, but um, Freddie has the background with Bill Parcells. Um, Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, George Warhop, when he was my offensive line coach here, those are all guys that had worked for per Parcells directly or had worked for people that were Parcells' disciples, like Bill Belichick with Eric Mangini. Um, and so I would say all those guys that kind of come from the Parcells tree, they're all different. They're all their own people, but they all believe in the same type of 
tough, hard-nosed, disciplined football players, football teams that are accountable, that are consistent. And I think that's what you're seeing from Freddie early on in camp already. He's not going to tolerate any mental mistakes. He's not going to tolerate penalties. Those are the things that are the same things that built the Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick dynasties, right? I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be disciplined. We're not going to make mental mistakes. We're not going to have penalties. We're going to eliminate the things that we can control and – as a tough, disciplined football team, we're probably going to win more games than we lose. So from a player's perspective, we're kind of at that point now, day 10, where you know you don't have the reward of that preseason game right in front of you. It's kind of close. you know, It's on Thursday, but it's not really there yet, so they would, it would be considered the dog days of camp. What was that like for you? How did you motivate yourself and keep yourself you know, in mental tip-top shape in order to go out and execute when yeah. maybe you weren't feeling that great? For me, it was just take training camp one day at a time. Right. Once you get into the flow of the preseason games, it's a lot easier because now you're traveling. You're staying in a different hotel. You're going to eat some different food. You're going to go hit a different opponent with a different helmet on. So that gets a lot easier once you get to that point. But the dog days truly are those days that you're hitting your hitting your own teammates for two, three, four weeks in a row before you hit another opponent. And for me, the way I kind of got through it was kind of I tightened my focus. I narrowed my focus down to each day I wanted to get better at one thing. And I would take my notebook out, and at the top of my notebook every day I would write down what that one thing is I wanted to work on and then how I was going to work on that. And I would go out and I would try to accomplish that in practice. So you're setting like little goals throughout the day so that at the end of the day you can go back and when you're reviewing film, you're looking, okay, did I accomplish my one goal for the day? If yes, great. Now the next day it's something new. If no, why didn't I do that? Why was my method, why did it fail? And how do I make it better, find a better process to solve that issue so I can accomplish the goal. So each day is its own game, per se, where you're trying to compete against yourself to make yourself better so that at the end of camp, if you've had 21 practices, you've gotten better at 21 hopefully different things, and you're a much better player at the end of training camp. And so you're trying to play these little mind games throughout so that when you wake up and you look up and all of a sudden, oh, we've got a preseason game tomorrow against the Washington Redskins. (laughs) It's like, okay, great. Now I'm, I'm in game plan mode. I can get through the rest of camp because the drudgery is kind of over for the most part. We were talking about this last week and it was kind of a popular storyline was it was Miles Garrett versus Greg Robinson at left tackle. And it was one of those things where you're wondering is Miles Garrett really this good or is Greg Robinson struggling? Mm -hmm. If you're a guy like Greg and you know you're getting better. How do you avoid the whole mental side of it of that is t- that can be taxing going against Miles Garrett? It's a real challenge, and it can be very frustrating because especially early on in camp, the defense usually gets the better of the offense because defensive schemes are much easier to comprehend and get everybody on the same page because uh, by and large, and this is offensive to defensive people, I understand, it is see ball, get ball on defense. <laughs> There's some running around and some some crossing and some stunts and blitzes and stuff. But for the most part, once the ball is snapped, you take your two or three steps and you find the football. Whereas offensive football is so much more detailed and the coordination and the cooperation between all 11 people is so much greater. The detail level is so much greater. It takes a long time to make sure everybody's on the same page. And so it is frustrating when you've got a guy, especially as good as Miles, that's beating you consistently because you almost can get this feeling that I can't work on my technique because even when I'm trying to work on it and get better, I'm getting beat. So now you're just holding on to your ass trying not to get beat (laughs) 
right? And mm-hmm. so it's almost good sometimes when you do start doing some of the ones versus two stuff as you're getting closer to that preseason game or you're going against, like next week against Indy, you're getting an opportunity to rep against somebody who's not as good as Miles. So now I can kind of slow things down and start maybe – focusing on my own technique where I don't have to worry as much about getting beaten. I'm just sort of holding on to my ass. But one thing I will say is when you are going against a guy like Miles every day, I went against him his rookie year, my last season during training camp, and that was all I could handle. You know, <laughs> so I can't imagine what he's like now three years in. But for me, that just heightens the importance of the walkthroughs because the walkthrough is now your opportunity to focus on doing my technique and my assignment perfect without the fear of getting beat. All right, it's one-on-one. I'm out there. The number one most important thing is don't get beat. Then you want to work on your technique, right? Now I'm out there and Nick Chubb's running the football or Baker Mayfield's throwing it. I can't let my man beat me. That's the most important thing, right? You slow things down in that walkthrough period. Now the most important thing is improving that technique, making sure my calls and my assignment is dialed in. And so I think for a guy like Greg, who might be having a hard time keeping up with Miles in training camp, those walkthroughs are even more important. So I think conventional thought would say, well, if you go against a guy who's that good, naturally you're going to improve yourself. But I think on the flip side, is it possible for you to develop bad habits because sure. you're spending a lot of time, like you said, holding yeah. on to your ass? Yeah, I think the the two things you got to worry out for is, um, like you mentioned, you got to worry that your technique goes to crap because – you are just hanging on to your butt, and you're trying to do anything you can. You're By hook or by crook, George Warhop used to say, whatever it takes, get your job done and yeah. get that guy blocked. And so you gotta, you got to have a coach that's savvy enough to understand, like, okay, remind him, hey, it's still about the technique. You need to still slow things down. We don't want you to lose any confidence that you have because, look, Miles Garrett is one of the best that is playing this game right now, and he might go down as one of the best – defensive ends in history when things are all said and done so don't get discouraged so that's when the coach has got to play psychologist a little bit and be be your your biggest advocate on your behalf and I think that's why a coach has to be a teacher and understand social socially with people about how to approach them and how they learn best and sometimes a kick in the ass is the best thing for a player but sometimes sometimes they need the arm around the shoulder and help give them a little bit perspective on yeah you lost that rep but this is why it's okay from a former player's perspective, when is the best time for an offensive line competition to end? Um, January 1st, <laughs> after the season's over. Yeah. Really, having a competition is great because it competition always brings out the best in everybody. It's the old saying. But the problem is when you're doing it during training camp, you're losing the ability to get that nonverbal communication down that as an offensive line you need. And look, when I play next to Joel or John Greco or any other offensive guard or Nick Shook or Jason Gibbs, each guy is going to be a little bit different. And so getting that sense of familiarity on how you're going to block things, where my shoulders are going to be, where are my pads, where are my footwork, that takes time. That takes time working together to work through all that stuff. And so Every time you're working with somebody that's not going to be the guy that's out there on Sundays, you're losing that opportunity. Your opportunity cost of having that competition is now I don't have the five guys working together that are going to be out there on Sunday. So you want to wrap that up as quickly as possible. So when you hear that the right guard competition is ongoing, you know that there's not a clear winner right now. Because if there was a guy that was clearly head and shoulders above everybody, they already would have named him the starter because they want those guys working together as soon as they possibly can. 
So going deeper into the death chart, even though there isn't a depth chart right now mm-hmm. if, you, if you think about it we have a, a rookie who's been playing four positions right now mm-hmm. and drew forbes who was a tackle in college who's pretty clearly not a tackle in the mm-hmm. nfl but he's getting tackle reps at yeah. both sides mm-hmm. and he's also getting guard reps at both sides and sometimes he'll go one play at left tackle and the next play he's playing right guard and he's playing next to different people those people are also cycling out so can you kind of talk about the difficulties of that mm-hmm. you know you were pretty much a starter from day one or close yeah. to it so maybe you didn't experience that as much but i mean that's got to be pretty tough for a guy I was really fortunate for my entire career going back to college that I came in as a left tackle and I never took any reps at anything but left (laughs) tackle in college or in the pros, except for in the Pro Bowl when they stuck me out at right tackle (laughs) because Jonathan Ogden and the other old guys were like, no, we ain't paying. Yeah, D-tackle though, right? Yeah, I played defensive line in college a little bit, but also (laughs) left tackle. But uh, I was really lucky, and so I think that accelerated my growth because I could focus on one thing. Um, so it is very challenging because as an offensive lineman, football is a game of a million little things, but offensive line is a game of 10 million little things and techniques and details that you have to put together on every play. And you can have one play and it could be blocked a hundred different ways as an offensive lineman. And you have to know the technique that changes based on the defense and the approach and, and the front that you're getting and who's running the football, and all those different factors come into play. And so the more positions you play, you're just multiplying. If there's 10 million little things, you have to learn to be perfect at left tackle, and there's 10 million things to be perfect at right guard. If you're doing both, now you're trying to learn 20 million things in the same amount of time. So you're getting half the the amount of time to learn the same amount of things. Or now if you've got three positions, you're learning three times as much in the same amount of time so it adds a layer of difficulty especially for somebody that might be new to those positions but what the coaches and the scouts are going to be looking for is they're going to say we understand maybe he's not as polished at this position as somebody else but they can see the development and the progress that he's making how quickly is he learning can he bend his ankles knees and and hips the way he needs to how does he move how quickly does he take up the coaching is he remembering the plays those are all the things that are going to play into it because we know he's probably not competing for a starting spot right now. Yeah. So they're looking down the line. What type of potential does he have where he could maybe develop into a starter? Or at least two, three, four years down the line, he's a really solid first backup that comes in the game on the offensive line. So kind of in that same vein, Austin Corbett has been seeing some reps at both guard and center. And he, I saw on Saturday – you know, after watching him every day, he looks like he's getting really comfortable at center. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's the value in that and getting him to play both positions? Obviously, center and guard are a little bit more mm-hmm. similar than a, a tackle to a center or something like that. You're not really going to see that. But, you know, what's the value in that? If you're going to be a really good starter as a guard or tackle in the NFL, it doesn't matter if you can play the other inside three positions. But if you're going to be a backup in the NFL or even a, a borderline starter, as an inside three position player, you have to be able to play all three because on the game day roster, they're only keeping seven offensive linemen that are active. There's going to be one backup tackle and there's one backup guard center. So if Austin's going to be the backup this year, he's the first guy that goes in the game. If the center goes down, he's going to have to be able to go in and be the starting center. If the left guard goes down, he's got to go in and know all the left guard stuff. Same thing with the right guard. So it'll be vital for him if he's not named the starter at right guard he'll probably be the first backup that comes in on the inside three he has got to be able to snap the football confidently because if something happens to your center position like 2013-14 Alex Mack breaks his leg who would have thought 
you know, another NFL Iron Man on our offensive line. The Pro Bowl center breaks his leg. We lost him for the whole year. John Greco, who's a guard, he's not a center. He was never snapping the football a day in his life till <laughs> shortly before that. He is now your starting center, so he better be damn good because that center position is really important. And so for Austin, I think this really helps his career to be able to be comfortable at that center position because you want to be a guard in the NFL, especially if you're not a Pro Bowl. If you're not Kevin Zeitler or Joel Batonio, Pro Bowl guard, you have to be able to snap the football and be confident as a center. Now that you're out of the league, where are you at with the importance of these guys playing in the preseason? And I'm sure, I don't know if this thought has evolved as your yeah. career went, went, went through. You know, to me, the preseason, it's kind of like a practice. Like, yeah. you want to walk that fine line between getting enough reps, enough practices for your players that they're ready, but without taking unnecessary risk. But risk is a funny thing because risk is different to everybody, you know. I may be willing to jump out of an airplane with a parachute, but that might be too much risk for uh, Jason Gibbs to take. So every coach is going to be different, and they're looking at all their different assets and finding out, you know, how much does this guy need, and can I risk playing Baker without playing all the starting offensive linemen? A lot of coaches don't think so. And so for me, I, I'm still kind of a traditionalist with my approach. If I was the head coach to preseason, I would say, all right, the first preseason game, I want all my guys to play for a quarter my starters and then from there we'll kind of roll our way through the second game I want all my starters to play the first two quarters because at some point you're going to have to put those guys out there and they're going to have to play football they're going to tackle they're going to block it's a physical game you can't avoid that and do you want the first time those guys are having physical reps to be the first game of the season I don't think so because I think the first game of the season is, is not a time to figure things out and to feel your way through it. The first game of the preseason is when you should sort of get some of the rust off, I think. Then the second game, get a little more rust off. Third game, let's go. Dress rehearsal. It's the dress rehearsal. And right. then the fourth game, if you don't want to play anybody in the fourth game, I'm okay with that. If you want guys to play for a quarter, I'm okay with that too. Whatever you want to do, that's all good. But I do think you want to get a little of that rust off in a live scenario in preseason. And then when you're going that first regular season game against Tennessee, you're ready to roll and you're, you don't have any of that rust left. What do you, how do you feel about practicing against other teams and then playing them in the preseason? Um, that's a little different scenario because when you're practicing against another team, I only did it once. We went up to Buffalo and we played sure, yeah. against the Bills in 2016. Gribble, he's a lot 15, smarter. 15. He's a lot <laughs> smarter with the memory on that took stuff. Took the train. We took 15. the train, yes, which was kind of cool. I actually have some fond memories from that trip because it was different, right? <laughs> yeah. You you do all these training camps in your life and they're all kind of the same, but you remember the different stuff. Oh, yeah. So um, I can't say I love practicing against another team because there is a lot more pressure. You don't want to get beat by somebody else. Just like your offensive line coach is going to be talking trash with their defensive line coach, who I'm sure they know each other, if his guy wins a rep. So there's a lot more competition. There's a lot more banging. It's a lot more physical, typically. Um, and so in because of that, a lot of times then maybe you don't need the preseason game as much at the end of the week because you're kind of getting better reps during the week against those guys. But I, th I still think there is something to, especially for the young guys, going through the motions of getting to the stadium, going through warm-ups, getting yourself lathered up and feeling what those emotions are like as they get ramped up for a game, going out onto the stadium, 
under the lights with those fans in there and just start making that part of your routine and so that the first time you do all that is not the first Sunday in September. I just think getting in that habit as much as you can, even if you just go out and get the first couple drives, I, I do think there is more to be gained than the risk taking of playing a, a few snaps. Biggest challenge facing you now as an NFL Network analyst oh. on Thursday night? Oh, that, great question. Um, the biggest challenge is being a Browns fan. I follow the Browns. I love the Browns. I know a lot about the Browns. But when you're doing Thursday night football, you literally have a different team every <laughs> single week. Yeah. There is no repeats because every team only plays one Thursday game. So the research that you have to do and the film study and the work that goes in is brand new every single week when I'm doing Cleveland Browns daily or I'm doing stuff with the Browns, it just builds on itself. And the themes are consistent throughout the season. You know the players, you know the stars, you know sort of how the offense is doing, how the defense is doing, how the players are performing. And so you don't have to relearn everything about the team every single week, whereas when you're doing Thursday Night Football, it's everything new every single week. Joe, I got one last one. Uh, we'll allow Taki, it. Taki Taki has been a I guy – <laughs> Taki Taki's been a guy that's gotten under the skin of some offensive players. I'm just wondering if love going it. back in your time, the last 10 years, yeah. was there a player that kind of got under the skin of, of oh, your man. side of the ball? And then does that go away once the, the season starts and you guys are actually going up against different teams? Oh yeah. So the guys that get under your skin from an offensive standpoint are usually the guys that haven't proven themselves yet, but are going a little bit out of control, <laughs> maybe a little bit yeah. wild where you think that, Maybe they are hitting your running back a little too hard after the whistle. They're giving that extra push, that shove, and they haven't earned it yet, right? <laughs> so uh, a Robert Smith was a, a, a longtime defensive lineman in the league, and if anybody touched him one half a second after the whistle, he was throwing down and having a fight immediately. <laughs> Except me and him. We were cool. Like, if you had earned your pelts on that wall – he was cool, but if you were a guy that hasn't had a lot of snaps in the NFL, you were as good as dead to him. <laughs> and uh, I remember, um, man, the name, Titus Brown. Not a guy that probably a lot of Browns fans remember, but he terrorized the offense during training <laughs> camp because he had some good moments and he would jump yeah. the snap and he would do a lot of things that get under your skin, like hitting your running backs late. He would give the extra shove in your back after the play was over. He would maybe when you were in the thud period, which just means wrap up, it, it means wrap up and don't tackle. He would maybe wrap up and, and just act like he fell to the ground and tackle your, your running backs. And so uh, he, he would definitely get under your skin. But once you do that as a player, then you either go one way or the other. Usually you go and you become a solid starter and sort of a really good player in the NFL. And it's like, wow, that guy's a wild man. He plays the right way. Or you're the guy that falls off the map and you never hear from him again. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully he becomes that household Amen name, that. big time starter. Joe, appreciate the time, man. Thank Thanks you a lot, so man. much. Always, always good being on with you guys. And, and best wishes here with the uh, with the Thursday night football Thank career. Thank you. Uh, is it nice being home with the fam and the kids? Yes. Uh, how's daddy daycare? Yeah, going? daddy daycare is crazy. Uh, I told somebody this morning when we got out to Cleveland on Saturday, we had a bunch of stuff going on. So Sunday morning, we took the kids to brunch, and uh, I like to eat still. I know sometimes it doesn't look like it, but. <laughs> I was really looking forward to a good brunch. We were in Tremont. We were, we were going on to Fahrenheit. They've got a great Sunday yep. brunch. Well, Fahrenheit was closed for a private party, which was sad. So we walked down the street to a different place, 
And we sat down, and within the first 10 minutes, three out of my four kids have all uh, spilled an entire glass of water <laughs> on the floor. Then my second daughter had dropped three different forks on the ground, and all of her scrambled eggs ended up on the floor. My son looked like a coal miner because the waitress had given him chalk, and there was a chalkboard behind us that he could draw on. But he didn't realize that like chalk goes everywhere. So he had like black chalk all over half of his face, covering both his hands and his arms. Uh, it was basically an enormous disaster and i was dripping sweat because i was so stressed out at the end of that brunch that i canceled dinner i'm like that's it we're not eating dinner i'm gonna like stop at mcdonald's and throw hamburgers at you guys on the way home because i can't stand one more minute in the restaurant with you animals gribble canceled family vacations gribble canceled no, summer gribble. no no it's just the i can't like are- summer if you guys don't <laughs> shut up in the back no vacations when the kids are three and one i mean they're not they're not enjoying no the, the key is and you're not enjoying no one no one's having nobody's fun. Fun. No one's enjoying it's it. It's obligatory drudgery. Well, and then I, I listened to like a Jim Gaffigan bit where he's like, we spend all these hard months in the Midwest just suffering through winter. And then the summer comes and we all leave. Yeah, like, right. there's no, I, so I'm, I'm fully bought in when there's maybe like six. So maybe I'll. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll split. Jim Gaffigan's great. He's got like five kids or six kids, yeah. and he's so funny about it and so real. I, I love listening. Yeah. <laughs> he speaks right to me, my family. Thanks to Joe Thomas for his time and just. Great stuff all the way around from him. It's so great to have a guy like that that's still around, that still will talk to the players on this football team, that is still wants to be a part of this franchise and this organization in some way, shape, or form. Even though he's with the national media, I guarantee he's working with you know an offensive player on this football team here and there. Some of the younger guys l- lending tidbits and whatnot. You know, when he came on with us, he said. Uh, before he came on, he said, I've watched the offensive line a lot today. (laughs) So uh, I I think it's just great to have someone like that in the building that those guys can maybe bounce some things off of. Yeah, I think there's a a ton of value in in having a guy like Joe Thomas who's got a Hall of Fame perspective. I mean, let's face it, he didn't get to win a lot of games, but he was an excellent player. And, And being able to come help with the team, whether it's just, you know, hey, how should I get through this rough part of camp or, or how should I work on this or that or the other, it's, it's, an, it's an asset that you'd be hard-pressed to find in every other uh, NFL team headquarters. Yeah, I thought the best answer he gave us, though, was when I asked him about the offensive line competition, and he made it pretty clear that if there was a front-runner for this job, uh, they would have been named by now, and that's something we've been, been following here daily, but th- it goes into mentioning something briefly about practice that we didn't cover in the beginning – Eric Cush at right guard for a second consecutive day, and that makes you wonder, is this the guy that's maybe take not maybe a front runner, but is making a move and then they want if to we, see back to back. Now days. now all of a sudden I was going into Thursday thinking, Oh, it's likely gonna be Austin Corbett to start off, but now now we wonder if, if this means it might be Eric Cush. Yeah, that's a good point. It's also I've, I've kind of struggled on how I want to judge this, and I think Freddie's answer probably swayed us more toward this, maybe sig- more significant than I than I thought, because Eric got the you know got the start. It was his day or whatever in the rotation on Saturday, but they rotated a lot more. You know, it wasn't like he was just with the ones. We saw other guys at the position as well. So at that point, it was like, well, is this actually a day in the rotation or not? So if you then move from Saturday to today, 
well, maybe this is where the rotation resumes. I think we're going to find out a lot more if we see Austin Corbett playing tomorrow. You're not going to get a whole lot on Wednesday because it's the day before the game. So, again, our biggest indicator is going to be Thursday. But the way that Freddie answered it today was nobody's really separated themselves, and I want someone to. So maybe this is a little bit of a kick in the pants to everybody in that group that, hey, look, I'm going to give this guy a second look and really a full practice with the ones you better catch up or you better match what he's bringing to the table. And you know what? So far, through all these practices, I can't disagree with him at all. I mean, I can't argue with him. I thought Eric Cush has looked the best so far at the guard position, so I think he's earned it. Obviously, we'll be looking on Tuesday to see who lines up at that guard position. What else will you be looking for? Gribbs, we'll start with you. Uh, you know, I, I, I just want to see, hopefully, some more guys on the field, and that'll give me a, a gauge. I think this Tuesday's practice – if, if a guy's probably not practicing Tuesday, they're probably not playing Thursday. So that'll kind of give you the, the glimpse of, of who's likely going to be on the field Thursday against the Redskins and who's probably going to be on the sidelines for precautionary reasons. It'll be interesting to see how much more they work in Kareem Hunt with what they're doing and if that means he'll be ready for Thursday. You know, Outside of that, just uh, hopefully you, you have a better practice than you did today. And I kind of get some, some better feelings. And, and I think this team has done well after they had kind of a lousy practice that last Monday and they came back strong and had a good week last week. So they were due for maybe a little bit uh, of, a, of a step back, but I'd expect they, they practice better and we'll have a few more highlights to talk about. I'm not in a rush to get Kareem Hunt back on the field because, you know, he had this groin injury that he said he doesn't have much of a history with. So, you know, if you want to, you know, take it along slowly as much as you want, that's fine. I don't have any issue with that as well, especially since he's going to miss the first eight weeks of the regular season anyway. So it's not like you really have to get him ready for anything specifically. So that's fine if he doesn't play. It's fine if he doesn't practice this week. But it is still interesting to keep an eye out for. I'm really looking forward to seeing who takes the field with the ones in the defensive backfield because we've seen Greedy Williams take snaps as the outside corner opposite Denzel Ward. We saw Terrence Mitchell playing in the slot today with the ones, and he made a nice play, almost had an interception. So uh, who comes out on the field? How many guys do they rotate in and out with the you know theoretical first team? Uh, that's what I want to see both tomorrow and then when we get to Thursday. All right. We shall join you tomorrow for day number 11 of Brown's training camp. Practice 10 a.m. to noon. Knock on wood, might be the first chance we see to actually have a little rain and possibly moving indoors. We'll see. I, I, it might hold off. Uh, it changes hourly right now, but we will wait and see. If not, it will be another hot day to be sure. For Andrew Gribble, for Nick Shook, I'm Jason Gibbs. You can get this podcast wherever you download your podcasts or by logging on to clevelandbrowns.com. This has been the best podcast available.